All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. I've been very fortunate to come up through coaching, through the Professional Christian Coaching Institute, where I did all my training, and I got to meet an amazing woman, Linda Davis, who I've asked to come on the uh, podcast today. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, John. I just want to share with the audience, you're just somebody I so respect, uh, just such an incredible career in business and some of the things that you've done, uh, the successes and adversities that you've gone through, and you have been coaching and working with people for the last 15 years, doing a lot of work with just high potential leaders and executives, but really have focused on women, especially tech, healthcare, nonprofits. And you and I were having a conversation, oh, it's just a couple months ago, Linda, and you your focus has really been on how do we help women develop a confidence for the next step of their career? How do they kind of lead with courage? How do they negotiate courageously? How do they maybe overcome some of the things that are in their head that allows them to either fail up or compete at the level they were actually designed to compete at? And I think it's such a great topic because there's, I think there's more women in the workforce now than men. And I think there's a lot of things that need to be changed to really unleash the potential across everybody that's in different organizations, whether they're a nonprofit or a, a tech company. And so I really wanted, so everybody out there listening, I wanted uh, Linda to come on and share. And But this is not just a conversation that's just for the women in our audience. And just love your thoughts on kind of why I would say that from you, Linda. You know, uh, John, it's interesting in terms of how God gave me this message, and it was really through initially a healing ministry, and that was an opportunity for me individually before I had anything to offer to anyone else to realize my real identity as a woman and to come into a sense of that. And what I learned is that it really is the job of the dad it's the father's job to pour into his children, both his daughters and his sons, in terms of identity. You know, the father's role is to be the protector, the provider, but also the identity giver and to call out the gold in his daughters and in his sons. And it's a unique role that the father has, uh, both in the family and most importantly in the family, but also in the workplace, you know, to be a corporate sponsor, to be a, quote, father to his employees, potentially. And my experience of that was I came to understand that fathers, especially for teenage girls, because something happens for teenage girls relative to boys in terms of their confidence, and they lose confidence between the ages of 8 and 15, relative to boys. And that's a very vulnerable time for girls. And it's also kind of an awkward time for fathers to be knowing what their role is with their teenage girls. And so fathers tend to pull back with their daughters and daughters really need their fathers to press in and build them up. And so what happens is we lose confidence relative to boys and we go through life sort of at a disadvantage because confidence is really, really important in terms of success in life. And we develop mindsets, negative mindsets about our value, 
about our ability to succeed. We underestimate our abilities consistently. And so the earthly father's job is critical for girls at that age. And I have had the privilege of you know, realizing that really, no matter how good or bad our dad is, we need our heavenly father to step in and speak into our identity and uh, then to equip us to be courageous in the choices we make. We all face fears. We all face danger. We all face things that are really scary. And the opportunity that God has given me is to help women of all ages and all stages to step into the scary thing, to take the risk, to learn how to fail, to negotiate for themselves, to ask for what they want and ask for what they need in a way that they wouldn't naturally do. And so that's the framework sort of of this message of confidence and courage. And there really is a critical role for fathers in the home with their sons and their daughters in terms of calling out their identity and also for men in the business world, in organizations. And I've been part of a corporate sponsor program that was initiated by a company that I was doing some work with. And they realized that for their high potential women, that they needed to have, quote, male sponsors in the organization. And I kind of refer to that as a corporate dad. And that dad's job, that corporate sponsor's job, was to build up that high potential woman, to call out the gold in her, to advocate for her when she wasn't around, to be a mentor, um, to help them develop skills. And I was hired in to be a coach to help those sponsors figure out how to do that. Uh, how to be most supportive of the women um, that work for them. The reason that companies invested in this was that they found that women with a corporate, usually male sponsor, were 58% more likely to stay with the organization. They were 25% more likely to pursue advancement, and they were 52% more likely to... Uh, ask for a raise. Um, The one that they cared about the most, of course, was retaining women. So they found that making that investment in them, giving them a corporate dad was really, really helpful in advancing women in the organization. And so I got to be part of that. And that combined with sort of the personal healing ministry was the way that God downloaded this message. Wow, that's interesting. And uh, was there a difference between the women that had like a female mentor versus a male mentor? You know, it's really interesting that you say that and ask that, John, because what I found was it was curious. It wasn't designed to be just a, you know, male corporate sponsor. It was designed to be just a corporate sponsor. But what uh, the organization found and that sort of rang true when I talked to them was the fact that, first of all, there weren't that many women in those higher level positions, you know, generally two levels up from the women that they were sponsoring. And the interesting fact was that in many cases, if there were women in those positions, they themselves were not very confident and therefore didn't have something extra to share for the women in positions below them. And that I found very, very interesting. Often women in very successful roles 
don't feel like they deserve to be there. They feel like a fraud and they are not truly confident in where they are and what they're doing. And so often women wouldn't want to be part of a program like that, even if they were at that level and in that kind of a position, because they themselves weren't that confident and didn't have extra to share, which I found to be very sad, actually. But uh, that's part of the reason that this message is really important for women at all levels and in all stages of life. Boy, I bet. And you've used the word identity quite a bit, and I'm sure that identity is really the core issue here. And I've always felt that, you know, it's these chains of a false identity that hold us back from our full potential, from really operating in the way, like Ephesians 2.10, right? Acknowledging the perfection in which we were created, and there was works prepared beforehand, and just almost acknowledging all this stuff that's in my head, what I see in the mirror, that maybe I actually am equipped for this. I'm designed to succeed in this environment versus all the self-doubt. These are things I've personally struggled with. And, And I know you talk about, you know, your identity as you came up through your upbringing with your father, through college and getting the business was, if I understand it, Linda, was completely identified or completely, uh, I guess, wrapped in your title, your position, your accomplishments, you know, your performance, all those things. So, and you realize that that was not the true identity. That was not the identity that brought out your full potential. But I think that is a very common path. And can you kind of share your journey that led to the forming of that identity, and then we can talk about what do we do once we understand that maybe we're that there's some things here we need some chains we got to break. Oh, that's so valuable to talk about this topic. I think John, because it's a burden I think for men and women, and I was reinforced by a high performance dad, and so I sort of took on you know, some male qualities in that way, and was reinforced for performance and. of my identity was based in that. And I came to faith at 38. I was loved into the kingdom at that time. And I was in a, you know, high level position working in sales management at the time. And I was devoid of an emotional life and a spiritual life at the time. So everything was wrapped up in that identity. When you say devoid of an emotional life, what do you mean by that? Well, I wasn't available for healthy relationships. I depended too much on the nurturing of female friends. I didn't value myself highly enough to have a good relationship with a man. It's true for a lot of women. We devalue ourselves. And so I would be in relationship with men that were weak and that I was kind of the strong one. So just the unhealthy brokenness of my emotional life led to unhealthy relationships that just weren't, I didn't have anything to give and I received in an unhealthy way in that and had Mm. no spiritual life whatsoever. So, you know, while all my friends were getting married and having families, I was kind of just a broken mess in that and totally identified with my work. And then Jesus got a hold of me and While that started to change what I prioritized and what I focused on, it didn't really change my identity. It didn't really change the core. It took 20 years 
of walking with Jesus for that to change because I had been reinforced so much by my dad and by performance. And it really was coming into encountering the love of God in different ways. And that happened, you know, in conferences, it happened in, you know, just in worship. And really the transformation really happened through a ministry that some would identify as a sozo ministry or journey mm-hmm. to wholeness. Mm-hmm. It That is where I got a revelation of how much God loved me. And the fundamental of that and the identity building of that is, you know, you realize that you have come to believe things that really aren't true, you know, sort of a negative mindset, if you will. And that really there's always an opportunity to forgive parents because they're the ones that build up our identity as children. And so I found myself asking Father God what I needed to forgive my mother for, what I needed to forgive my father for. And he revealed things that I had no awareness of. And so when he revealed what I needed to forgive my dad for, for example, my dad had never said that I was beautiful and I had no awareness of that, but I forgave him for that. I chose to forgive him for that. And then in its place, you ask and say, once we release that forgiveness and release him from owing me something, We also want to cast out those negative mindsets or those lies that we've taken on, that we believe, that I'm not attractive, that I will never be in a relationship with a man, in a healthy relationship with a man, that I'll never get married. I mean, we take on negative mindsets and lies unknowingly. And so there was a process in that ministry of renouncing those lies and just saying, that's not the truth. That's the enemy whispering something to me. Once I've released my dad, you know, I renounce the lie, right? And then ask Father God, you know, what's the truth? How does he see me? What is he bragging all over heaven about me? And in that very example, John, which was a profound thing for me because I had no awareness of that. I knew other things that I might forgive my dad for and did and other things that I forgave my mom for. But in that example... What Father God, what the Lord did for me after that is so profound. I can't hardly even talk about it, but he sent me a prophetic letter and it talked about how beautiful I was. At the time, I had lost all of the hair on my head and he said to me, I want you to show vulnerability to people that you're ministering to. And so I didn't have any covering on my head. I didn't have any wig on my head. And I went around Aspen, Colorado, with no hair and totally exposed. And person after person in different settings and different situations would come up to me and tell me how beautiful I was. Now, was this because of stress or something else? Yes, absolutely. My hair fell out three times. It's still in the process of regrowing, but from emotional stress. Yes, Mm. from loss and stress and striving and this whole issue of perfectionism. And so it wasn't from, you know, cancer treatments. It was from stress. And for it to happen three times, basically when I lost a relationship that was important to me, but unhealthy. And so this was God's grace, really. So the exposure, the very first time I shared the confidence and courage message was at a women's retreat. 
And the Lord told me in worship to show them that he was my covering and that I would be vulnerable and exposed and that I could be confident anyway. And so person after person would speak into how beautiful I was, people I didn't know, people that had no idea what had caused this or why. And then I actually had the Lord give a prophetic song to somebody (laughs) that they sang. And the title of the song, without her knowing anything about this situation, was I See Beautiful. And so that process of forgiving my dad for something that I didn't even know I was lacking, releasing him, opened up the channels of heaven for the Lord to pour into me in ways that could not have possibly happened through a person, through my dad, or through any other means. And that was just one example of the profound impact of forgiveness and getting rid of lies and negative mindsets that we carry around unknowingly, and then releasing the Lord to pour into that place that was formerly broken, mm-hmm. and for him to do and change our identity in that way. And all those things about I am what I do for work, performance, you know, the burden of perfectionism, you know, forgiving him also for over encouraging those things. And then, of course, forgiving my mom for some things that I was missing there as well. And, you know, those relationships after that process, and fortunately, you know, I had some time with my dad on earth before he went to heaven, but have never been stronger. The healing that the Lord has done in those relationships and in other relationships where I was looking for some of those things is profound, is profound. So, He worked through those topics that needed to be forgiven and also getting rid of the lies that accompany that and replacing them with the truth from him, from his spirit, from his word. And that's how it gets in there deep, you know, and we can really believe it and live from that place instead of living from a broken place. In these identities that we have, right, I'm 52, you know, everybody listening, whatever age you're at. You know, this identity has been being formed. We're allowing it to be formed often by outside external influences, our own experiences, what people have said to us, what we think people think about us. And all this seeps in in certain ways to either validate things. But also if our identity, let's just say that somebody looks at you when they first meet you and go, wow, you would be a great leader here. And they start talking to you about that. And that is counter to how you see yourself. I know mm-hmm. in my own case, I love that. I feel that affirmation feels good that somebody sees something in me. But I have this program running in the background that would sabotage maybe succeeding in what other people saw in me because that identity can be so strong, that false yes. identity. And for you, if I heard you right, started with really looking back at some of the source of some of the kind of the big rocks in the uh, identity, right, with forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this process, though, of identifying some of the lies that we've accepted as truths and replacing them, right, that is a place that a lot of people aren't, if we're struggling with it, we haven't done it before. We don't have a lot of experience doing it. What would you share with the women or even the you know people out there listening, the men, on how to start that process? 
You know, I'm a big fan of this ministry that has really changed my life and pointed me in the direction of encountering the Lord directly. And I encourage anybody to find a Sozo ministry or Journey to Wholeness ministry because it just jumpstarts that experience. You have in an hour and a half session a guaranteed encounter with the Lord and him speaking into the truth of who you are and how he sees you and how he's uniquely made you. And I think, you know, apart from that, it really is valuable to get some of this from his perspective. So I like to think that I can do this on my own. I do it more, but I've had probably 15 to 20 of these sessions over the years and I've ministered in that as well. And it really is saying, you know, Father God, what do I need to forgive my dad for? And wait and hear what that is. Maybe journal it, write it down, you know, and then go ahead and forgive him for those things. And often he reveals things that we're not even aware of. And then, you know, in that process, what lies have I taken on? You know, what false belief do I have? What negative mindset have I taken on because of that wounding, because of that, you know, wrong message that I received, either through somebody's words or somebody's actions? So what lies have I taken on? What am I believing that's not true? And he will reveal that. And then we renounce the lie. We renounce the lie. And we do it very specifically with whatever he reveals. And then we say, Lord, what's the truth? Right. And he always trades up, John. Right. He always trades up and he wants to tell us the truth. He wants to fill our mind with the truth about how valuable we are, how gifted we are, how capable we are. And he's the only one who can really do it. You know, the the external world will give us affirmation. Like you said, we might have clients that think we're wonderful. We might have uh, clients that think we're terrible. We might have good parents and not so good parents. And But when we hear it from heaven, it sinks in deep. And mm. But we have to clean out the clutter. We have to release and forgive those who have wounded us, who have broken our hearts, who have offended us. And we have to get rid of the lies that the enemy's been speaking to us. And he loves to target women with those lies. But Women are not the only ones that get all those lies in there. So he wants to do that house cleaning. He wants to replace those lies with the truth. And we can do this with him, you know, journal these things as he reveals them and then ask him, you know, he's the one that's got the truth that he wants to share with us. And it's really a benefit to do that in a ministry where somebody's praying, somebody's leading those facilitating that dialogue that you have with the Lord and you walk away with sort of all the good things he said to you as a reminder. And so I am such a believer in that ministry because it took 20 years for me as a believer, as a Christ follower, to get a real sense of my identity, my value, my worth. And I would not have this message to share with women or with men had that not happened. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Blinkist is a book summary description that has more than 2,500 titles in their archives. They distill the key thoughts and points into easily digestible 15-minute reads. 
I just recently read Abundance by Peter Diamandis and was so blown away that I got the book from my local public library and read the entire thing. Others, like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, I was quite fine with the Blinkist version. Read in their beautifully designed mobile app at their website, export to your Kindle, or listen to the audio version on the go. I prefer to listen while I read along right before I go to sleep. I fell in love with this service last year and turned John onto them in December. You, as a listener, have our word that any products or services that John or I advertise on this show, we personally use and are not just fans, but raving fans. Blinkist is definitely in that category, so try it with a seven-day free trial, and if you use our affiliate link that's embedded in the summary of this MP3 or at eternalleadership.com slash blink, it's an easy way for you to help support all the work that Sandra, John, Daisy, Fidias, and myself put into keeping this show going. So please, if saving hours and hours by reading a well-written summary of some of the top books out there sounds like something you'd want to try for seven days, click on that affiliate link, eternalleadership.com slash blink. Thanks. I'm guessing that's why you focus on this kind of coaching now to help women. So it's not 20 years, <laughs> right? It's right. You, Absolutely. Right. It's a, a much shorter period of time. Compress that down. But you said something, right? It's about cleaning out the clutter. And I'm guessing when things are so ingrained, that cleaning process, there were some challenges in there for you. Would you mind sharing as you went through this process, what were some of the things that you found easy found challenging places you had to revisit? Well, I told you the one about, you know, just my identity as a woman and not feeling beautiful, but the, the whole process of trying to do things perfectly and performance, it was almost a part of me. I mean, it's not just a set of behaviors or a mindset, but it was almost a part of me that, that I really had to let him break that down. And really, for example, you know, knowing how loved you are, even when you don't perform or when you fail. And this has become a big topic. I think both the fear of failure and the perfectionism that seem to, you know, burden women, especially. And so I have I personally had a couple of failures and I've had one very recently, and they tended to be in the financial realm of, I left the corporate world, and I had a lot of HP stock, and the stock was at a nice high level, and I could have sold that and made a really nice profit. I did not ask the Lord anything about that, but I simply <laughs> managed a sort of a spirit of greed, and that, I just watched that stock tumble down to almost nothing during that time. And so that was a very painful learning. And I just did something, unfortunately, quite similar with a condo purchase that I didn't invite the Lord into. And uh, it was three years in construction, and there were all kinds of problems with it. And then I had to get out of it. And it's cost me quite a bit financially. But the learning from those failures has been to bring him into everything. Mm. bring him into everything and to walk with him one step at a time through everything. And the other way I've embraced failure and teach about this is the idea of, of thinking about getting feedback. And, you know, even 
for an event or a coaching engagement or for a podcast to get feedback and to ask people, you know, what are two things I did well in that engagement and what's one thing I could have done better? Sort of tell me what my failure was in quotes, you know, what what's the mistake I made? What could I learn from? And to think of failures and mistakes as learnings and to embrace that myself and then to encourage, you know, women especially to look at failure a little bit differently because we tend to, um, there's just some gender differences there that women have a much harder time externalizing failure. If you and I, John, took a test Generally, this is a generalization. It's not true with all men and all women. But if we both took a test and we failed at it, the tendency would be for you or for a man to look at that failure and say, you know, the teacher was lousy. You know, it wasn't a good test. The pencil wasn't sharp. The room wasn't good. And I would look at that or a woman might look at that failure and say, I'm a failure. It's an internal problem. I'm a failure. I didn't study hard enough. It's about me. And we, we need to learn to externalize failure and look at it as a learning opportunity and persevere. And we all need to embrace it that way. But there's just a bigger fear of failure, I think, with women. And that's you know connected to a growth mindset and being able to say, something went wrong, but what am I going to learn from that? How am I going to keep going? and not try to do things perfectly. That's a thing that seems to burden women much more than it burdens men. And perfectionism is an impossibility. It's a huge burden and it's sort of a cover up, right? Well, it's, kind of, it's, it's linked to that performance mindset, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Because I want to do everything perfect so that you know I'm known for the work versus being good enough. But you know, as you were talking, Something that's really helped me with this, and let me just kind of share this, is when I became a new believer, and this was when I was 27, after I got out of the Navy, and I'm trying to understand, you know, who God is, and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and trying to figure all these things out, my identity at the time, and just how I processed, it was very hard for me to separate the nature of the Father, the true Father, with the nature of other men and people, you know, my human relationships. Mm-hmm. If you had asked me to, at that time, draw a, let's say I, I actually had the ability to draw, <laughs> which I don't, but in my mind I do really well, you know, draw a picture of God, you know, it would have been this big guy with the flowing beard and the robe with his arms crossed, leaning back, kind of looking down at me going, really, again, you know, seriously, mm-hmm. are you, uh, okay, okay, let's work on this. And what I realized was, as I read about the nature of God, and when I was in his presence at my accident, Linda, mm-hmm. it was the most intense and powerful, unconditional love that was between him and I. I mean, this was personal, and I knew that I wasn't special, like... This is how he loves every single person, regardless of our background, what we've done, how many times we've messed things up, failed, not done good work, you know, done horrible things. And what I realized in that moment, the first thought that crossed my brain laying there and my body was crushed, uh, I didn't even know how bad it was at the time, was I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this. Mm. And as I 
thought about that moment, which I've thought about many times since this happened, the love he had for me, which was just so beautiful and pure and unconditional, had nothing to do with anything that has ever transpired in my past, any decisions that I've made, anything that I've ever done. And it made me think of, and I just pulled this up as we were talking, you know, the nature of God, I think, is so beautifully illustrated in Luke 15. It's verse 20, the prodigal son. Think about this kid has spent his money on women and drinking. And in that culture back then, according to the Old Testament, if he returned to the family, he should be stoned at the edge of the property, right? Yes. And here's what it says. His father sees him, right? He arose, right? And came to his father. So the son's coming up, but he said, but while he was still a long way off, what said to me, God is looking for you. He's waiting for you to just turn toward him. And his father saw him and he felt compassion. All the things that we're going through, our struggles, our stress, our anxiety. I don't think he's laughing going, hey, I know how it turns out. No, he's there present with us in the moment. He's feeling what we feel. He's relating to us. And it says that the father ran to him. He embraced Mm. him. He kissed him. And think about the culture back then. The patriarchs of the culture, they wore the long robes. It was very dishonorable to show your legs. So you wouldn't run. But to run, you had to lift up your robes and run. I heard a pastor talking about this. So he didn't care about what anybody thought, the community, the other elders. He was so excited that his son was returning to him because he just loved him And then he threw a party. He slaughtered the fatted calf. He welcomed him back. He said, no, you're not going to work in the fields. Take the best robe. That meant the father's robe. Put on my robe. And if we actually, for me, understanding God's nature of a loving father who's not there to judge and look down at us and be like, oh, my gosh, you've done this how many times now? This whatever you're struggling with, an addiction, a mindset, you know, habits that you have. That's not the place that he is in in our life. And understanding that for me, Linda, was huge for me to actually shift and understand what God saw when he looked at me versus what I saw when I looked in the mirror, if that makes sense. Of course it does. It's amazing to me to hear your story, John, and that you would still have that creeping thought of worthiness. Mm Mm-hmm you know, at that most painful moment of your entire life, devastation, pain, that you would still have a question about worthiness at that time. It is profound that in our moments of the deepest pain and loss and grief and brokenness, he just shows up. He is running after us. The times of greatest pain and loss losing my dad right at the time that I was taking this message out to a big corporate setting with hundreds of women. And, you know, my dad passed away. And that was a big loss for me because he was my cheerleader and he was proud of me and he did build me up. And yet the grace of God in running after me to say, I'm going to fill in, you know, where your earthly father left off because I'm crazy about you. Mm. And I'm bragging all over heaven about you that you don't even know. 
and you don't have a revelation of that. And another time of great pain was on Thanksgiving Day uh, four years ago. I was invited to come to a friend's house and right half an hour before I came into her house, she had a heart attack and went to be with Jesus. And I was honored to be the one that found her. And that encounter with the Lord and what he did in that house, while I was praying for her, for Jesus to bring her back, while the paramedics and were working on her and everything that followed that over those 90 days was an encounter of his love and intimacy like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. And that presence, that closeness, that love, that I am here for you, I'm your covering, I will walk with you, I will even break off the trauma of this event. He wants to be that close all the time, John. He doesn't want us to have to have a horrific accident like you did or for somebody to die, right, Mm -hmm. to be there or for us to be homeless and alcoholic and whatever. You know, he's available and running after us all the time. It's amazing. It is. Now, if people want to connect with you, it's L Davis, L D A V I S leadership.com. That's your website. Is there other ways that people can connect with you, Linda? I'm available on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and Twitter. And that's probably the best is my email. So thank you for sharing that. Perfect. Now, as we wrap up, I would love for you to share maybe what it's given to you in kind of terms as you've worked on this identity and really moving into that true identity in the area of, you know, your you know, confidence and courage. And I think a lot of these things that uh, a lot of women out there and men are really seeking. I think that this process of encountering his love and helping get a sense of the true identity like he gave you at the scene of your accident and like he's given me over these last couple of years, you know, really, really is important because our, whether we're, you know, coaching non-believers or, or, you know, walking alongside people that know Jesus, but haven't really gotten a revelation of this, we need to be confident in who he says we are and have that mindset of the truth, you know, believe in our value and clean out the clutter like we've talked about. And that, you know, really does come from a relationship with him and making sure that, you know, unforgiveness and lies aren't blocking us from experiencing that. And then the courage, you know, and confidence, just by the way, and I imagine people know this, but confidence is critical to our success. It's much more important than competence. And women also have a tendency to focus on competence, on grades or on achievement. And confidence is much more important to our success, no matter how we define that. And so we want to make sure we're getting rid of the fear of failure and perfectionism and the things that block us from that. And, uh, you know, we get more confidence by getting a revelation of that, but also going out and taking risk and learning how to fail and learning how to fail up and learn from it. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Amy Cuddy's Power Pose, which is a two-minute jump start to your confidence. You hold a powerful position for two minutes. It increases your testosterone. It lowers your cortisol. 
and gives you a little jump start to confidence. So I always have in all the different events and speaking that I do, I have everybody do two minutes of a power pose. And that's an equal opportunity thing. Everybody can benefit from that. If you need a little jump start for a difficult conversation or a negotiation, or even before this podcast, I did a power pose jump. <laughs> so that's a, those are some practical jump starts to that. And you know, the courageous part is the taking action. It's stepping into the thing that is scary or that you've never done before and you don't know how it's going to come out. And that's sort of the action part. You know, the confidence is the internal thought process or mindset. And then the courage is the step out and do something and take action. Yeah, even and when you're afraid, right? It's not exactly. the absence of fear. It's actually that's right. taking that next small step forward, even when the fear is present. Exactly, because we are going to have fear. The Lord knows that. He speaks 360 times to do not fear, but we're still going to have fear. And, you know, the adage, do it afraid, is very valuable. Do it afraid. We have to do it afraid. You know, my leg is shaking as we're talking still. So there's some fear there, right? But uh, here we are, right? Here we are, stepping out and learning and taking action and going forward. And then just saying, okay, how do I fail up in this situation? What could I have done better? And what did I learn from this? And I persevere. And how do I get in step with the Lord? Because boy, oh boy, it works better that way. And even when we fail, you know, when we're with him, he's like, oh, I'll just show you what, what I want you to do with that learning. You know, how to step out better. And it's just so much better in partnership with him. Isn't it though? Well, everybody out there listening, what Linda's saying just is relating to where you're at and you'd really like to move forward. If you're a woman out there, this is the coaching that Linda does. She's amazing at it. Plug into our website, ldavisleadership.com. And I would just encourage you guys to, I really think that this part is foundational because in the whole leadership industry, in my opinion, Linda, it's broken. There's over 30,000 titles if you just search leadership on Amazon and everything's about the why, the what, and the how. But until we work on who, who we are, and really get to that true best self, all the other stuff that's helped other people succeed in different areas isn't going to work because we're running it through flawed programs, if that makes sense. So working in this area, I think, is one of the most important and vital things that we can be doing with our time right now. So I would really encourage people to take action in this area, whether it's with Linda or somebody else, but this is an area that we all need to be growing in. Amen, John. All right, Linda, thank you. You are awesome, and I really look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much, John. Bless you today. Bless you, lady. 